Did you grow up playing in the Warhammer Fantasy Old World sandbox? Are you cautiously excited about the fact that Games Workshop are bringing it back? I mean, admittedly, they've not done the best job of keeping us informed about the thing ever since they announced it back in November 2019, but we're told that it's coming. Someday. And with that in mind, I thought I'd bring back my Warhammer Fantasy go-to guy, Nathan Stone, onto the show to talk about it. So let's kick things off by finding out Nathan's general overview of Warhammer The Old World so far. Frustrating, I guess, would be the first word that comes to mind. And it's it's a good kind of frustration in a way. I'm really excited about it. I'm really happy that Games Workshop is going back to the old world, to the Warhammer world, and exploring a, a game that has a lot more possibilities and a lot of diehard fans that were kind of left in the dark after the whole thing blew up. So that's great. I, I have no problem with that. I am so stoked to see what comes out of this. I, I guess my issue has been I am very frustrated with the the lack of communication between Games Workshop uh, and fans from when it was announced, which now feels like a trillion years ago. And today we've had very few updates. There was a great one in the summer that answered some very basic questions about what kind of game it would be. And for the most part, it's going to be a Warhammer game from from what we've understood uh square bases rank and flank the classic but at the same time there's a lot of hype and, and excitement that had been generated when they made this announcement and generated by things like the ongoing success of warhammer uh total war that got a lot of us and, and me especially i'm a very excitable guy really uh, wanting more from Games Workshop here. And there's been this odd periods of darkness <laughs> between these little snippets of information that were given. And they're so erratic and they're so strange that it almost feels like Games Workshop every now and then remembers that they're actually working on this. And they're like, oh, yeah, throw a bone to the to the fantasy guys, because we've had interesting tie in articles about uh kislev and they're going to be in the old world whenever it comes out and that was kind of around when they were teasing kislev for total war warhammer 3 so it was a nice little tie-in we've gotten just tiny little snippets of of what some kislev units might look like they told us that some of the things that would be in total war warhammer were going to be in this new old world game but there are basic questions about the game that we still don't know. They they didn't answer what anything about what the game was going to be until uh, the summer of this year. And it's been really odd that they couldn't just make a little web page about Warhammer the Old World and throw up, you know, some designs every now and again. Just give us like a developer's diary, all that kind of stuff that they're doing in the background. And they have to do in the background anyway. I just don't understand why it's so in the dark, uh, this this whole development cycle. And I understand there's been so many things that have gone on for Games Workshop. They've got uh, COVID to deal with. They got Brexit to deal with. They got all sorts of stuff. The, the global supply mess that's gone on. I, I get it. And I, I understand that the game is probably delayed from when they thought it would come out now. I, I doubt we'll see anything probably this year maybe even next year i assume this is a large project that takes a lot of time but just tell us right just just give us some information because for for guys like me and and for a lot of the warhammer lifers we have our old editions we have other games we have everything that we kind of need but there's something special about having an official living game to say hey look if you're interested in this you know try try out go to your local games workshop go to your local hobby shop pick up these things it's so much easier than saying well you know i can provide you with you know maybe a pdf of, of the old rules and and you know there's proxies and 3d printed models it's that feeling of of being 
supported in a game system that is really nice and really good for for getting new blood into the hobby and right now there's there is a lot of people who have been saying hey you know i've been playing this warhammer total war game or you know i've got friends that used to play the old fantasy or maybe still do play the old fantasy there is a market there and they know that and we know that i just wish they would engage with this this little market that that is just dying for information and and really wants to embrace this yeah you were you were you were saying on uh, the on your own podcast they don't even and you mentioned it there they don't even have a website for the thing which is no it's it's wild it's wild to think that in you know 2022 now uh there's no dedicated website for warhammer the old world and games workshop has thrown up websites for every conceivable thing under the sun before campaigns they've done it for uh old like games that are no longer supported or you know this is this is basic stuff and it's it's i I don't want to say it's marketing 101 i'm not a marketer but it just seems so obvious to me and so odd that you're not engaging an audience that desperately wants to give you money and and wants to be engaged and wants to be drawn back into you know the warm clutches of of the 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 dragon that is games workshop right it's it's odd i i wish i had a reason for (laughs) why any of this is happening but i am i'm in the dark and uh so all of the excitement that i have is kind of tinged by this secondary concerns of where is this game going? What is it going to look like? Because we just don't have those answers yet. Yeah, so um, I suppose it's it's up to us to to bring about a solution here rather than us uh, just complaining about it. What we're going to do is put put ourselves in a hypothetical situation where one day, Nathan, you get an email or a phone call from somebody at Games Workshop and they say to you, look, Nathan, uh, big fan of the show and uh, we like you know the, the stuff you've been saying and stuff like that, so... What we're going to do, we're going to offer you a job as overseer of the the new Warhammer Old World project, and uh, we're going to give you unlimited budget, unlimited resources, unquestioned authority. <laughs> so you could come in and do what you like with this thing. Um, right. And I know that's huge, but you know you're coming in the door for first first couple of things you're thinking about. What are they? Well, uh, I mean. You know, after graciously accepting this position, I will uh, I'll I'll come in uh, probably, uh, you know, dressed up uh, in some kind of homemade chaos warrior outfit. uh, Heinrich Kemmler (laughs) hat, you say, you you know, I do. I really want my Heinrich Kemmler hat. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm going as the Lich Master into uh, Games Workshop. That's going to be my official title, too. Everyone's going to have to call me that and they'll hate it. And uh, (laughs) so if I'm starting and assuming that I am starting basically from scratch, the first thing I want to do is make sure that the game feels right. And it's not really something that you can quantify in a particular uh, one particular sentence or, or that kind of thing. But I've kind of tried to break it down into to what I think the game needs to be successful, both from a standpoint of, you know, new people finding the game and uh old guys like me just trying to you know relive the glory days of warhammer fantasy so the first thing that popped in my mind is it needs to be immersive it needs to be an immersive experience and the way that you can interact with this and immersion's kind of a, a of a tricky one and it's really a melding of rules lore and kind of attitude around the game I, I think what you you need and we're as hobbyists, one of the things that I, I find and it it drives me crazy, but I can't call anyone out on it because I'm as guilty of it as anyone else is. We take all of this way too seriously. I mean, this is toy soldiers uh, and we should remember that from time to time. Nothing really matters as far as tournaments or, or you know, hobby things. We give ourselves crazy hobby deadlines or, you know, where we stress over painting models in a time frame or or just sometimes at all and yeah this is this is a silly game about fantasy toy soldiers we should acknowledge that while also 
being respectful to the the lore that has come before and then the lore that we're going to develop in this game and i i, I liken it to wrapping yourself in a big blanket that is the Warhammer world. So there should be ways for people to engage with this in terms of lore from from books, from Black Library, to, uh, you know, diving into the mechanics of the game, uh, to just loving the the models, right? There's there's this wonderful thing with with Games Workshop games, and I think it's why people get so into them, is that they're more than games, right? We we spend way more time thinking about gaming for the most part or or thinking about hobbying or or just puttering around doing little things than we ever spend, you know, playing those high stakes games. And the reason why it's got so much real estate in our head is because we're able to live in those worlds. And I think you have to have that for a successful uh, Warhammer game. You You have to be able to do that. Old Fantasy did that really well. And I just want to make sure that uh, this new fantasy, the old world, does that as well. Uh, the second thing is it needs to be accessible. And by that, I mean accessible from a rules standpoint. One of the biggest complaints I have about Games Workshop games today is that I can look at uh, a war scroll for Age of Sigmar, or I think it's called a data slate or data sheet for 40k, and I can see the stats of the unit and I can see their special rules. But I don't really know what the unit does or can do until you start adding layers and layers of rules on top of that from army rules, detachment rules, uh, you know, character rules, rerolls, auras. There's so much there that while I don't think any of them are a bad idea uh, singularly. I think where they've really gone off the rails is by stacking all of these things on top of each other. All of these rules make it exhausting to try and and play or or try to get a grasp of these new additions. And maybe I'm just an old man and, and my brain just doesn't work anymore, but I really find it a struggle to get motivated to do anything in kind of the new realms of, of Games Workshop games because of this lack of accessibility that I find as far as the rules go. Uh, the, the second way I mean accessibility is that this has to be a game that a kid can at least play to a basic level. I would never have gotten into this game if my friend hadn't found this. We were eight when he found this. I was nine by the time I got the game myself. Uh, we, we, we didn't play it right, not really, but we played it well enough, uh, Warhammer Fantasy, and that's so important because like cigarettes, you got to hook them while you're, they're young. You know, adults, adults might find and get into Warhammer and I'm sure they do all the time, but like the kids, you know, you grow up with a game like this in a world like this, these, these incredible spaces and they just, they just take over your brain like a drug. And here I am, uh, as a 34 year old still talking about the stuff I loved then. And I think that's so important. Uh, you know, they always say kids are the future. And I suppose that is literally the case. So you you gotta for the 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 health of the game, you know, down generations. I want to see people playing this in twenty one hundred. I'll be dead, but you, my ghost, uh, will see them playing this, and I'll have a big ghostly smile on my face. Uh, the last, <laughs> the last one is authenticity. Uh, it's just gotta be. It's gotta feel like Warhammer when you play it and when you interact with it. I, you know, this is a, a version of Warhammer Fantasy that they have told us is they're taking the best rules from third to eighth edition. If that's the case, I got to see it. I got to see those classic stat blocks. I got to, you know, when I put my armies down on the table, they have to look like Warhammer armies. That's kind of what I mean by authenticity. And I think those things kind of constitute the very first, like that feel of the game. And if you nail those, that is a good foundation for your your game your house to be built on as far as getting these things together so in a thousand or twenty thousand words that is that is the very first thing i would do <laughs> that's good uh sitting down at your first meeting just laying down the law to everyone uh, and also you've sacked all the people that weren't there not that they're probably all great at their job but you've just brought in loads <laughs> of people who who were around in like the 90s and that um that's it 
that's it. I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna hit up the Facebook groups and uh... yeah, look, look outside. There's just loads of Snotland pump wagons parked outside. <laughs> um, so I like, like what you're saying there about the um, generational thing. So I think it was the episode I did with Josh about we were looking over my first White Dwarf magazine, which was ninety late ninety three, and I was saying on some of the photos, I noticed you know in store games workshop photos it was loads of kids you know you're talking maybe 9 10 11 12 years old uh, and i'm never never in games workshop stores now but i i don't know that it would be like that now you know and, and the few times i've been in there it's um you're more cliched kind of games workshop player you know you're you're guy with the beard hiding away in the corner in the dark so i don't know that they're those vibrant sort of child friendly places they once were yeah, it's the it's it's unfortunate. I can't speak to it, I think, any more than you can about what goes on at the Games Workshop stores. I, I do try to avoid them. There's only one of them uh, in the in Halifax where I live, so it's pretty easy to just not go in there. But even when I was uh, first finding it as a kid, yeah, that, that was it. Like this was back in 96 and I would go in. Uh, Toronto to the uh, there was a games workshop it wasn't the closest one but it was it was kind of a day trip so sometimes my mom would take me out into the city and uh, we'd go to the games workshop at the Eaton Center uh, which is just a really big mall in downtown and it would be packed with kids either my age or, or usually like a little older kind of the the 10 to 13 set and they would just be everywhere right and <laughs> Parents would just leave their kids there to uh, to kind of babysit them while they did some shopping elsewhere in the mall. And my, my mom did the same thing, actually. So I can't I can't badmouth that at all. But yeah, then that was and that was it. We would uh, we would play on the little demo game tables as kids. And it was yeah, it was like this magical toy store that, you know, probably didn't want you calling it toys but that's that's what they are and that's that's what they were back then and i i do worry about accessibility for the miniature hobby in general uh specifically games workshop because you know we the the cliche thing is to complain about prices and we certainly can but there's there's not there's not always a good way to access games workshop games anymore do you remember when you were a kid, they would have had, I mean, they still have these, but they, again, like the prices have gone up and everything. There used to be super cheap little paint sets that would come with like a chaos warrior and a space Marine. Yeah. I... And yeah, that was, that was the first models I ever, I ever owned was mm-hmm. that little paint set. Cause I was still saving up for the, the big starter box. And yeah, those were, were wildly cool. I thought, and I don't know if it was more than $8 back in mm-hmm. the day and it was so cheap and it was so easy and yeah, I wish I had an, a, a better answer, but it is something that that worries me about that because I, I would hate to see a generation kind of go without these games. And it, it for as far as long term health goes, I think you, you need that influx of, of young players, that, that really new blood kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, not to dwell on this aspect of the conversation too much but these days they're competing with so much you know kids attention is so pulled towards um you've got top of the range uh, video games and the internet and phones so it is much harder because this isn't an immediate gratification hobby you know you've got to go in collect your things glue them up paint them this is very long tail um and i worry that a lot of young folk just don't have the patience to get involved in something like that now You've got a good point. I I can't say that for sure that I would have found this hobby and and fallen in love with it in the same way if I had grown up in modern times or even like the the 2000s, because there is things like video games, which, you know, I lost hundreds and hundreds of hours to as a teenager uh, that but by that point, I had kind of had that that you know, that, that infection of Warhammer in my brain. So it never left. Mm-hmm. But if, if I had found that maybe later in life, maybe I only, you know, maybe I only graze the hobby or maybe I'm just like, Oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll try that someday, but I, I never get into it. I, I think you're, I think you're onto something with that because 
there is so many distractions. There's so many things. And I just wonder how many kids have the experience nowadays of, of doing something like making a model kit with a family member or, or that kind of thing, because I did that as a kid and it was kind of a gateway thing with, with Warhammer because I at least had the context of, Oh, I know what model building is, right? I, I made a few army planes and, and those kind of things. And yeah, it's, it's odd because we're such a tiny niche as a community, the whole war games community, when you put it all together, is such a tiny niche and it's only a certain type of personality that really connects with it. You know, a lot of people will try it out. Certainly, you know, they'll get the starter boxes. They'll, they'll do a little thing. And then eight months, two years later, you know, it's, it's been forgotten in a, in a box in, in the closet until they sell it. And I, I think if you're the challenge, if you're a company like Games Workshop or, or whoever is in this modern day of infinite distraction and everything goes so fast, how do you get people to slow down for a hobby? And I, I wish I had an answer to that other than the fact that like for for guys like us, it's it's very fulfilling. But we also grew up with it. And yeah, that's that's the thing. If you haven't grown up with it, if you haven't done these things uh, since childhood, is that going to have those those make those same connections in your brain? Are you going to be able to just zone out and do a little painting or, uh, you know, read a little lore or, or God forbid, have a game? I know I don't have games anymore. I assume people have games, but not me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. It's concerning. And uh, I it's. It's something that I do hope kind of works itself out. I, I do hope that with the exposure that Games Workshop's gotten over the last few years, that they're able to bring people into the wargaming hobby. And Games Workshop's always great because for, for all the things that I can fault them with, they're a wonderful kind of siphon to get people into wargaming. Uh, because people start with the Space Marines, they start with Warhammer 40k, but then a whole world opens up to them. Because they're going to meet people who play historicals. They're going to meet people who meet, play fantasy, that kind of thing. And so what Games Workshop does, even if they go about it in ways I don't always like, is they bring people into this wonderful hobby. And I, I, I really hope they're able to continue to do that, whether or not, you know, uh, they, whether or not they're you know, the, the, the final destination for people or if people kind of spread their wings and, and discover uh, like a hundred other games out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I suppose just to wrap that, that sort of angle up, um, I suppose you did mention, is it Total War, the, the computer game? Um, yes. has been yeah. bringing folks in. So I suppose um, it's not all bad news with that side of things. <laughs> um, if that's, if that's bringing people in it too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's the other side of it is, is if we see, an expansion of the intellectual property stuff. So Games Workshops have been making Space Marine uh, action figures and, and dolls and stuff. And I guess the the more that it's out there and the more that people can see it, you know, only maybe what, like 1% if that of, of the people who would play Warhammer Total War would be interested in playing the tabletop version and, and spending the time to build those armies and paint them. But that being said, 1% of, you know, a game that sold millions of copies, that's a pretty good player base. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting discussion to have, and it's not one that we can answer, but it's, it's a really neat thing to watch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, a, it's just all about indoctrinating the, the kids in our own life. So, you know, I've got a, the listeners maybe heard her, um, and I've mentioned her. It sounds like I always moan about my daughter, but she's four months old um, and she was crying away downstairs. So um, we'll have to see when I could uh, get her painting some stuff um, <laughs> that isn't just the innards of her nappy. But uh, I wanted to talk, Nath, a wee bit about, um, well, aesthetics and units, I suppose. Um, Aesthetic-wise... Do you think do you think it's too wishful thinking to 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 imagine that we might go back down that route uh, you know the monopose chaos dwarfs and stuff like that do you think that's too out there I I don't I don't think it's too out there 
because of what I've seen happen to specifically Warhammer 40k over the last few years. Now, I'm not and I, I've been talking a lot this episode about modern games workshop stuff, and I'm, I'm more of a casual observer at this point than I am a, I'm a gamer or, or someone who uh, really gets involved with modern Warhammer. But what is interesting is over the last few years, you've seen influences come back from the 90s era. So that wonderful second ed Warhammer 40k that was weird and wacky and wonderful. You're starting to see reintroduction of characters from that era. You're starting to see certain things get a little bit less grimdark, quite frankly, as far as uh, tone, colors. And there's been this odd blend. Now, of course, modern 40k is its own beast but a lot of its influences are drawn from drawn from second edition and the reason i think it was is i think you had guys who grew up uh say in the 90s say they were like teens that kind of thing they they stay interested they love second ed 40k the way i love fifth edition fantasy and eventually you know they go down the games design route and they they work for games workshop and eventually they become the guys kind of moving the game forward and they start to bring in some of those wonderful aesthetics that had fallen by the wayside during the 1998 reboot and subsequent editions so i don't see why that couldn't happen for warhammer fantasy and for some of the factions of course the everything's remarkably consistent so you know a skaven in hero hammer looks a lot like a Skaven in Age of Sigmar. The technology's better. The sculpts are a little bit more uh, clear, but they, they they share the basics. Orcs, of course. Uh, and then you've got stuff like Chaos Dwarves who changed so radically. Or, for example, uh, Wood Elves were another one who went through a, a really interesting arc of, of changes. Uh, ogres, of course, look entirely different from their 90s counterparts. But I think that if... And, and we'll see when, when this comes out. But I am willing to bet that there's enough people at Games Workshop and in positions at the company that grew up during that era and have those kind of feelings for that era that you're going to start to see some of that slip back in. Because not only are these iconic aesthetics that that old guys love, these are aesthetics that games workshop has started to swing back to so uh during the sixth edition era uh around 2000 when when warhammer fantasy had its big kind of grimdark reboot it followed 40k everything got a little bit more toned down so the uh the unit i love to mention for this is uh graveguard or or whites uh as they were in in fourth ed so they had the fourth ed models were wildly fun uh they had big bat winged helms they had giant halberds they had very ornate armor and it didn't make a lick of sense of course that these guys would have been buried in these things but then the the graveguard that came back uh in sixth edition were a lot more uniform they were cleaner like they they looked more like regular soldiers rather than heroes and you're just like okay like yeah these were like guys buried in a barrel with their king i get it but then that, that pendulum started to swing again. So you're seeing wild stuff out of Age of Sigmar. I think Age of Sigmar is is knocking it out of the park with, with becoming its own thing, which it arguably always should have been. But that that pendulum, Games Workshop is is starting to be willing to just make stuff because it's crazy and it's fun and it's cool again. And I really think we could get that with Warhammer Fantasy. I think... When we, whenever we see the old world, it's going to have influences from that Hero Hammer era, maybe those third ed influences. Uh, I, I don't know if you follow uh, Age of Sigmar at all, but the um, the orcs that came in the, the newest starter set uh, took a lot of their design cues from some of the orcs from third edition, uh, which I thought was, was very cool. Uh, kind of a neat homage, uh, despite being... A very very different thing so yeah to to answer that I, I really do have some hope that we're gonna see some really inspired uh stuff come out when whenever it does yeah really good point about the 
the fact that it's you know that this stuff doesn't exist in a in a vacuum you know you've got people that grew up with it that are working in there and that's that's a great sign and then there's also you know the more cynical but still maybe beneficial aspect that the marketing team at GW must look at eBay and see the price of chaos wars and stuff and they're not making a penny from that so they must be thinking you know we're we could be making a ton of money out of this. And that's not necessarily a noble thought, but, you know, if it gets these great products back on the shelves, then. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that I think that can't have escaped their notice, right? That the secondary market is absolutely wild and has been now for at least a couple of years. Uh, although Chaos Dwarfs, I mean, I've been on the lookout for them for probably a better part of a decade now and i don't think they've ever been what i would call affordable i've never been able to uh to you know push that button finally and and make uh make a purchase on them what i wonder about and this is something that maybe you've got an opinion on the onset of 3d printing as a legitimate means to get miniatures now right we've had 3d printing for the better part of a decade but now the quality is so good it's so so good and there are great sculptors out there that have taken things like the classic fourth ed chaos dwarfs made facsimiles of those and and have been selling those and i just wonder if games workshop comes out and they they come out and say they they do make the classic fourth ed chaos dwarfs uh you know and they're 70 dollars for 10 or whatever do they sell what they're looking to sell or because this, you know, we're the the fantasy market isn't the 40k market. And what I mean by that is the people who are in it today tend to be older. They tend to have been around the block as far as Games Workshop goes. We we know the score with Games Workshop, right? We're not we're not the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kids that are coming in buying their first box of Space Marines. If we've got options that are available now accessible now and you know we can either print them themselves uh, ourselves or have them printed for us and these are the designs that we've always wanted anyway what can games workshop do to convince us to buy their stuff instead of create our own because we have the means of production now and i i don't know what that means for a game that's just trying to find its footing mm-hmm mm-hmm our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. Um, anything that's like anything that's surprised you so far? I know we've talked about a lot of the, the the negatives of that, but anything that's come out so far that you've thought oh, that that's pretty cool. Honestly, almost everything, almost everything. I, I here's here's the thing is is I I sound negative because I think of my brain thinks of all the problems that could come about. Uh, I am tremendously excited to see what happens. So the Kislev. Uh, stuff the 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 very first stuff they showed us they had uh the ice queen's personal bodyguard that looked incredible uh they showed us some some pictures of of bears for bear cavalry and if you don't want bear cavalry you're lying that's that's it that's the only option i am very excited about everything one of the things that i'm most excited about and it's it's probably the nerdiest thing I just love that map that they've been filling in for the old world. I can't get enough of it. I, I love just pouring over it, just looking at the various locations, trying to figure out what's different between the uh, the maps of of kind of 25, I think, 02 or 2520 that we got in the army books in 8th edition and comparing those to what is in kind of 300 years previous to that. I think it's wildly interesting and and seeing the little tidbits, the breadcrumbs that they're leaving for us. So seeing wood elves uh, outside of Athalor and seeing them in the forest of Arden 
well, what are they doing there? Is that a full community? There's another one kind of in Nordland in the Empire just thinking, oh, well, wouldn't that be interesting? What would the forest spirits look like if they were, you know, kind of in a northern forest? Would you get like some pine tree treatment or something? I just, I don't need, and this kind of goes back to my first point is I, I need so little to get me excited about this game. I want so desperately to just nerd out about this entire thing uh, until it's released. And yeah, so just little stuff like that. So one of the things that we saw recently, uh, because the the map that they're making keeps expanding, and eventually, originally I thought it was going to be just the the little bit of the old world, uh, and then it's it's expanded and expanded and expanded, and now we're kind of pushing into the dark lands on one side, and then kind of down towards uh, the Southlands on on the bottom, and so starting to see those those first markings for the Chaos Dwarfs, and thinking, oh. Like, is that, are you telling me that I might get some Chaos Dwarfs Games Workshop? Because, oh boy, like, that's what gets me excited. That's what gets me going. So, yeah, I, honestly, everything that that they have put out, I have found some, even the, uh, the, the well overdue little clarification about what the game would be. I, I found a lot there to like. I really did. And I, I still find a lot to like in in all of this stuff. I don't know a, a huge amount about it, but I think one of the, the wee bits and pieces that I saw so far was about the Border Princes. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but it looks like you've got the scope to do a bit of your own world building with these these areas because, you know, nobody really knows what's going on and you can have your own little uh, lord or prince or whatever. That That's the real beauty of the Border Princes. And that was always a thing in Warhammer Fantasy, but they were never explored to their true potential. And even this snapshot that they gave us, they told us specifically, this is just a snapshot of what the Border Princes would look like in a given year. So you really have so much freedom to work with. And one of the neat little things that they did that I don't know that everybody kind of noticed right away was... You have uh, symbols that that demarcate uh, these these kingdoms, and some of them are very recognizable. You're just like, oh, okay, like so. This is a kingdom that that is an offshoot of of you know a Bretonian knight or something, or a, a, maybe a banished duke because it's got those kind of Bretonian motifs. Uh, and here's one from the Empire, and then you start looking, and you're just like, oh. Like this one's called Harkon, and it's like it's a bloody you know a blood drop with a cup, and you're just like, oh. What what would a you know what would a vampire count border prince kingdom look like? And then you see another one that is that that is reminiscent of of an elven uh, sigil, and you're just like, oh, like a break, like a, an interesting little elven nation, that kind of thing. And yeah, the border princes are. If you take a look at at the rest of the old world, rest of the Warhammer world, and you're just like, ah, nah, I kind of want to do my own thing. That gives you full license to make something that is completely unique and completely lore friendly because the border princes are this wondrous uh almost near lawless expanse of feuding petty kingdoms and and uh you know lords on the upswing or the downswing there's there's infinite possibilities there and it's it's a nice space to have that is so close to the major kind of action points in the Warhammer world, because then it gives you those. If if, if when you play a game, uh, if you, if you're a weirdo like me and you have to kind of make a whole story to go with it, I, can, I can't just sit down and play a game. I, I have to know why everyone's there and and what they're doing. It, it gives you that that ease of of saying, well, my border prince army is you know marched southwards. We're going to plunder some uh, of the tomb king's pyramids or something, right? Like it gives you that. And it's a it's a region that I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun designing either mercenary forces for or their own takes on Bretonian or Elven or Empire forces. Want to just swing back around to your uh, new job as overseer because I want to make sure we'd covered your full agenda on that front. Was there anything else you felt was quite pressing on your to do list? You know what? Uh, one thing with with if I was the old world designer. 
I think one of the things that I would that I would put my foot down on, and you kind of mentioned it with like the return of like monopose models, but modern games workshop, they've they've really embraced this called three ways to play. And for for 40k and for Age of Sigmar, they divide it into open, which is just put whatever you want on the table and roll dice. Uh, narrative, which is scenario play, and matched, which is either your tournament or your, your pickup game. I like that idea, but I think they've gone about this three ways to play the wrong way. Because what I see is the possibility of having a single game scratch kind of multiple itches. So so not just like the narrative itch or the match play itch. Like I play points for all my games, but I would describe them all as narrative games still. What I would do is have three ways to play, one called Mighty Empires, one called something like Warhammer Classic, and the other one called Path to Glory. And the way it would work is Path to Glory is your skirmish option, it is Warhammer Skirmish. And you've got your little warband you have ways to make them stronger. If you want to go with the chaos theme, like the original Path to Glory, I'm super cool with that. But basically, it is your your entry point. Uh, you have super customizable. Everybody's got their weapon. Old school kind of Mordheim feel. The Warhammer Classic is what we all know and love. You know, uh, 1,000 to 2,000 points. You've probably got anywhere from 35 to 100 troops on the battle or on the field. And the last one would be my version because i know there's so many people out there that loved eighth edition uh and those those big blocks of troops right they fell in love with the the giant the spectacle of it and that's not my jam but i understand that it's an important part of the community i would want to go with like a sixth edition core for for this old world but what i would do is have a separate game type called mighty empires that would be basically uh apocalypse level uh warhammer so if you want to throw down with like 200 models you know regiments of 40 to 60 night goblins or whatever this is this is your your space and i would streamline it streamline it kind of like kings of war where you're moving whole regiments and you're fighting as regiments instead of removing certain models that kind of thing i think if games workshop embraced the fact that in in modern war games there's so many out there now that are miniatures agnostic so I, I can take my warhammer miniatures i can play kings of war i can play frostgrave i can play any number of things but do that as this is warhammer uh in these three ways and and you can do all of them and you can do them all with the same models and to that point i think one of the things that you must do if if and I, I don't care if they're they're taking my advice here or not, but one of the things that they absolutely must do is bring back uh, monopose unit filler troops. So you remember the, the old plastics from, yeah, from, like the old plastic chaos dwarfs. Uh, there used to be ones for pretty much every army, at least a couple of ways, old empire halberdiers. And they filled out your back ranks and then you bought uh, some command models and that, the, you, you know, you made your unit. We need that. We need that desperately because I am sure that one of the ways that Games Workshop made sure that uh, 8th edition fantasy failed was making it so inaccessibly expensive to build out big units and to get that spectacle, right? Because that's that's what a lot of people want. And that's, I think, where you need to give us just give us the unit filler. Give us the guys that are all holding their axes the same way. I love those guys. I love monopose plastics from that era. I, I, I enjoyed the ones that they made even later on. Um, that was kind of what I, I wanted to mention there in the, uh, in the, if I was the overlord of, of, uh, the old world, that that's kind of what I would do because I, I think there's room for everyone uh, in, in terms of, you know, what was your favorite edition of Warhammer Fantasy? I think we can all get some amount of joy out of this old world project. But I think it requires them to make it almost into a couple of different games, or at least give us a, di a couple of different game modes in which to play. 
Yeah, it's a great point. I, I, I'm, I'm the same, Nathan. I love the monopose, and I don't know if that's just nostalgia speaking, but I think there's a pragmatic benefit of the monopose too, because if I think back to, you know, I used to pick up miniatures, we went down on holiday in England. There was a, it wasn't a games workshop, but it was a, like a toy master shop and they had the, the small games workshop area. So me and my brother would pick up, you know, we had Plague Marines, we had uh, High Elves, we had Chaos Dwarves. And we could get, you know, we're kids at the time, we could get the box open and you could have the miniatures lined up on the table and you're just kind of, you know, messing about with them, not playing uh, an actual game with them or that. But these days, um, I've mentioned on the show before, I bought um, some skeletons and some marauders at the modern Games Workshop range and they're fantastic miniatures. But you open them and it's just arms, legs, heads, you know. Um, yeah. And as a kid, we want to we want to instill in them the patience and the slowness of the hobby. But you can only do that so much, you know. If you're opening that and saying, right, you know, two weeks to to scrape all the flash off these. Whereas you open the monopause, you can just break them off the sprues and stick them in the base, and there they are. There's your model. Um, so it's that it's it's more instant gratification without it being internet instant gratification, if that makes sense. Yeah, you've made a fantastic point there. And it goes back to that accessibility, right? That's how you get kids. I wasn't, as a nine-year-old, I wasn't uh, patient enough to do big models yet. Like, I I got a uh, Keeper of Secrets, uh, one of the, the old ones that would fit in the blister. And it took me forever to get that together. And it was like six pieces. But it was big and it was metal and I didn't know how to work with it. But yeah, those monopose those those early saurus where you know you're the only option was were they going to hold their hands arms slightly up or slightly down uh, that was it but i got those on the table and i could start playing with them and that's what you got to remember is that you know not everyone is going to if you're going for for kids which i think you absolutely need to you got to remember that they're going to play with them like toys you know they might play with them properly at some points but they're also just going to put them on the table and like make up little games where they fight yeah, and and that's that's necessary. I'm not saying ditch the the multi pose kits. Have, but have a couple of options for each army. Uh, things like say if it, if it was dwarves for the army, I would have dwarf warriors and I would have uh, the corlers, the crossbowmen, and I would make sure that those models were either one or two pieces. You get them out, you put them on the base, and if people want the multi pose ones, you you've got the multi pose kits available, but make it so that we can have these things and make it so that people can build an army a a decent sized army for a, a decent price and make sure that you're not ignoring the young part of the hobby and i i think you can't go wrong with that yeah i was just thinking what what would be the what would be the stupidest um model or or races or or units to be monopose um, imagine snotlands or zombies imagine them all uh, regimented how funny that was <laughs> i take it they did they never they never did monopose zombies back in the day did they no a- no we got the metal ones and then i think in 98 or 99 we got those uh those multi-part that lasted for like 25 years or something Mm. um yeah yeah there's there's a some models that have always kind of just been only the the metal or multi-pose and then there was some that we got one or more different monopose kits for it but i think my first (laughs) ever um multi-pose were the skeletons i don't have them anywhere i sold them um frustratingly but uh, putting them together, that was a lot of fun because I'd been in the hobby a few years by then, so I, I kind of knew what I was doing. But, you know, if, if that was the first unit that I'd bought, um, it would have been more frustrating than anything else because I just wanted to rip that cellophane off, open the box and just see everything there. It's ready to go almost. So Yeah, yeah. And when you think about those those early days kits and, and especially the starters, what concerns me about the starters is that when you look at them nowadays those sprues are not super uh simple like the models go together well and they snap together and the the technology to have them and hide the seams and everything is incredible but you still when you open the box you see a jumble of plastic whereas when i opened the box uh when i got my my fifth edition starter set i saw knights i saw lizard men you know, I, I maybe had to put arms on and I, I stuck the knights on their horses, but it was there and my brain could make sense of it. 
I, you know, I, I, I look at something today, like the, the age of Sigmar starter set, and some of the models are absolutely incredible, but they're five, six pieces. And yes, they snap together. But again, if you're looking to get kids into the hobby, you know, that's asking a lot sometimes. And I, I feel like we ignore that as adults. And I, I feel like Games Workshop ignores that as well, that, you know, not everyone's got these skills and not everyone wants to do that you know sometimes just give people toys to play with and if they paint them and if they play the game that you've made with them great but if not then you know what they still bought them yeah Yeah, it it reminds me i wish i could recall um who said this but i'm sure it was a guest on dan's paint all the minis podcast um a game designer on there they were talking about the, what they call the Christmas Day test, you know, when they're looking at planning a game. It's can this box be opened? Can it be assembled? And can you sit with a kid and hold their attention and play through a game of it um, on Christmas Day with all this other, you know, all the other presents that they might have got a new phone, an Xbox, whatever. Um, so it's a, a good way of looking at it. Um, I That should be by law what they have to do when designing boxes like that especially like the starter set the introductory set that is the best thing i've ever heard yeah that is the ultimate test and and yeah. bring back that monopose chaos warrior that what like you were talking about that wee paint set um frustratingly <laughs> those paint sets they never had flesh colors in them it was like a red a green a black a white uh, <laughs> yeah yeah they would they would show you the <laughs> they'd show you the miniature that, that they had painted and you're just like i don't know if you've given me all the colors for this yeah, at all <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I found some of my first ever battle master stuff and i've got like a green beastman and, st- and stuff like that <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't have the colors <laughs> um high elf skin it was like yellow so um so nathan now we're coming to the end of our episode here it's been really good fun uh what's the what's been the latest goings on in the orchard podcast and and your sort of hobby stuff well my my hobby's kind of taken a little bit of a break i i did a little bit over the uh the kind of christmas two weeks i've actually gone back to school uh so i'm i'm doing a a radio television journalism program and that has been just eating up all my time so not too much uh, as far as hobby goes i've painted a few single miniatures here or there uh more so on on the orchard side of things we've been we've been really busy uh, I was originally going to step back the podcast while I went to school and then realized that I, I just couldn't didn't have the heart to do it. I, I just love it too much. So I've been doing a lot of stuff. We did a, a fun seven part retrospective on Storm of Chaos, which yeah, was meant to be that. a two <laughs> a two part retrospective and things just got out of hand. Uh, the latest episode, I, I did a, a, a little holiday story I, from the fifth edition Bretonian book, uh, the story of Tybalt, who is a, a, a knight errant looking for his lost brother. All sorts of stuff. It's it's the usual just Warhammer variety, whatever pops into my head on the orchard. Uh, so, yeah, lots of fun. I'm actually looking at uh, I, I've recorded some some video uh hopefully gonna have that up on on youtube soon it's been something that i've been meaning to get into for a while now but just time and skill and uh my skills starting to improve with this this program that i'm doing so uh it's just finding the time to to make some some silly warhammer videos about the uh the kind of lost units that that got dropped between editions but yeah that's that's where i'm at if uh, anyone wants to check it out it's uh, the war games orchard you find that anywhere that you find podcasts basically thanks once again to nathan for coming on the show it's always a real pleasure to speak to him and i'm sure we'll do a few more episodes together in future too One more wee thing before you go, I'm running a tabletop miniature hobbyist survey over at bedroombattlefields.com slash survey and I'd hugely appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes to nip over there and answer some questions about your own hobby life and opinions. Again, you'll find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash survey. I can't say too much about it at this moment in time, but there's a potential for some cool opportunities for the folks who get involved. It'll also really help with the running of this podcast too, so a couple of minutes of your time would be massively appreciated. Once more, that's bedroombattlefields.com slash survey. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak again on the next episode.